We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here, and I am here, and I just sneezed about 12 consecutive times right before we started to record, and Tommy's been waiting for me to come up for air, and I am ready to go, and I'm going to start the show by reading this uh, very nice review um, from one of our listeners. We get these reviews uh, in on Apple. If you're listening to us on any format that allows you to rate and review the podcast, please do it. It's a big help uh, to us um, when you do it, um, especially on Apple. Five stars and a quick one to two sentence review uh, is a big help. This is from Jay Gruden via Apple Podcasts. I don't believe that that's John or Jay. And this is just yeah. the first initial Jay Gruden. Uh, but this is clearly this person's handle. Uh, two Queens at Casino Night is what this is titled. And I'm reading this because I want you to weigh in on it to see if you know what this references, because I don't. Quote, would you rather fear this podcast or love this podcast? Easy, both. You want to be afraid of how much you love this podcast. Closed quote. That was Matthew McConaughey at the DC Sports Podcast Association Award dinner. <laughs> the quote rings familiar a little bit, but what's it from specifically? I'd rather be feared than loved. Yeah. That's from, I think it's from uh, A Bronx Tale. Yeah. When Sonny right. is telling uh, the kid about, you know, it's more important to be feared than loved. Well, why is he using Matthew sure McConaughey? It's, 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 I don't know. Look. It's not a novel concept. I'm sure it's been used in other movies as well. That's just the one that comes to mind. You know, it may come from a Godfather thing, for all I know. I mean, it sounds Godfatherish <laughs> in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's. It sounds like um, it, it should have come from some sort of mob movie, for sure. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, it could have come from uh, you know the show um, that I watched year one of that everybody loved that I thought was really good, too, and I'm blanking on the name. Um, McConaughey was in it. Um, 
Oh, oh, True Detective. Yeah, True Detective. Um, is it possible? Oh my God! Is it possible that, that it came through was, True Detective? I don't think so. I don't okay. think it did. My okay. God, I, I can't. T- I've watched that three different times. That se- that season one. So, uh, I mean, that is really. As they say in the business, they toured the, the force. I watched season one. I and, loved it. I never, ever watched season oh. two or season three. You know, season, season one, was, Woody Harrelson was brilliant in season one. Yeah, it was It was great. Season two was just the opposite. Couldn't be worse. Who was season in season two? Was two? I, I don't remember who was in season two. Vince Vaughn was in season two. Uh-huh. Treat Williams was in season two. Was it that was Col- terrible. Oh, oh, that was Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell Colin was Farrell. season two. Okay. Yeah. And then okay. was there yeah. another season? So what, not Treat Williams. Yeah, season three was okay. Okay. Uh, but again, I mean, they should have stopped at season one. They're going to have a season four, apparently. But uh, season one, you can't replicate that. It's just amazing. Brilliant television. Um, brilliant television. Yeah. Look, you know, Matt. I don't want to get bogged. What? I don't want to get bogged down in this. But I want to mention it. I don't know if anyone out there has seen it. There's a series that was on YouTube TV, and now it's on Amazon Prime. I think it came out two, three years ago. One season called Wayne. No. Not familiar with it. Oh, about. my God. Oh. <laughs> this is like a 16-year-old, dirty Harry, uh, teenage kid out there who, with his girlfriend, is on a road trip on a dirt bike to Florida. And it's just unbelievable. It's, it's, I, I can't what explain made you to you think, how much What made you think of watch. this? What made you think of this, True Detective? Because you mentioned, because, yeah, you mentioned one season. You know, there's no, of the first, we talked about the one season of True Detective, how good it was. There is only one season of Wayne. It's not like anything you've ever seen before on TV. Right. It's it's really good. Do you like McConaughey? Yeah, I do. I like McConaughey. I like him a lot. Most movies I've seen him in, I, I liked him in Contact. I loved him in The Wolf of Wall Street. He was, did a great movie called Mud that doesn't get Mud a whole was, lot of attention. Mud was excellent. Where he, yes. that's that's the yes. movie where he's kind of out there, and there are these kids, and there's a boat, and all this stuff going on down in the yes. bayou, right? Yeah, yeah. I that, like him in almost everything he's done. Yeah, and um, Mud was—we highly recommend Mud to anyone. Uh, you know, he played. Um, I—I I don't know if this was his big first, his first big role or not. Um, but one of the Grisham novels that turned into a film, and this one was, I think, called A Time to Kill. I didn't read the book, and this would have been after The Firm and after Pelican Brief. Um, but this was the one that he was in with Samuel L. Jackson and Sandra Bullock, where he's playing the you know the the white Southern attorney um, that was trying to put away the people that had raped Samuel L. Jackson's daughter. Do you, know, do you did you ever see that movie? I I've, I've never I've never seen that one. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. I think that may have been one of his first movies. I'm pulling up his his well, uh, his, his filmography his, his here. His big movie. His first movie that made him a big uh, that made him well known was Dazed and Confused. Oh, got it. That's where the all right, all right, all right, right, comes right, from. right, 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 right. Uh, you know, that's what really kicked him off. 
Uh, by the way, The Lincoln Lawyer, another great McConaughey movie. Yeah, I, I, that was okay. Um, the, uh, the, the, the movie where he pa- plays the Marshall football coach, We Are Marshall, he was pretty good in. Yeah. I like that movie. You love Tropic yeah, Thunder. You've already talked about Tropic Thunder this week. Um, yeah. I have not seen to this day Dallas Buyers Club, which apparently was so good, and he was so good in it. Neither have I. I didn't see that movie. I haven't watched it either. Um, you know, oh, I forgot about this. You know what movie he was in? He was in Two for the Money. Do you know what Two for the yeah. Money is about? The Al Pacino mo- with Al Pacino. Yes. About the, uh, the, the gambler, what's his name, Brendan or Brandon? <laughs> Brandon, yes. What's his last name? You know. Brandon Lang. I don't know. Brandon Lang. Okay. Why, I don't know why you don't know he was on our show for one football season. Actually, that's not true. He was on with Doc and I, or just me, one football go. season. It was there before you, you and I started to do it. I'm going to tell this you know, story. I love when you correct, I love when you correct yourself like that. <laughs> well, you know, uh, <laughs> I, not everything I did was with you, um, but it feels like everything <laughs> I've done was with you. But I think I have told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. And Brandon Lang is, um, was basically what we like to call as gamblers, a tout. He sold his picks, you know, and he created a business around, Hey, I've got the five star, you know, AFC North lock of the month. You know, go to brandonlang.com, or in the old days, it was get to Western Union, Kevin, and get me $150, and I'll give you this pick. Um, and, you know, anybody that's ever gambled, especially those that started gambling years and years ago, there were always these tout services that, for whatever reason, when you're young and very naive, you think these guys know something. And so, you know, you end up paying for picks until you realize they don't know anything more than you know. Um, so those are, you know, those, those are the early lessons of, of gambling. You know, it's like, it's like the guy that gets stuck at the strip club running his credit card to the max thinking that she's going to go home with him. You know, that's a rookie mistake, clearly. Um, rem- do you remember that? Uh, that that friend of ours that we couldn't find for a couple of days in Vegas. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> he he maxed. He, he didn't max out one credit card. He maxed out two credit cards. But anyway, um, Brandon Lang created um, and and really became one of the biggest touts out there. And I'm going to be a little bit off on this. I am sure. But where he made his name was he had a stretch of hitting on like 25 consecutive Monday night football games over like a one and a half year period. You know, the picks he gave out and he was selling on Monday night were hitting 25 of them in a row or something like that. It was some ungodly number in a row. And all of a sudden he had a business. And I don't know if that's what really launched the business, but that's what really made him um, into kind of one of these handicapping tout stars, you know, back in the 90s and in the early 2000s. Anyway, I'll try to speed this up. Early on in the pandemic, 
we were playing golf one day at the place that I play golf, which was open, and a lot of places were not opened. And the caddy business, Tommy, is really an interesting business. Caddies at certain places, they all know each other. They all know each other. Like New York guys and D.C. guys and Boston guys on the East Coast at certain places where they caddy. It's like kind of this inside world of everybody kind of knows everybody and they know where they are. And they all then during the winter, they go and caddy at, at, at various places in Florida Make a, to, 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 to try to speed this up, we're playing golf one day, and there was um, there were new caddies at the place that I play, and these caddies had come down from Long Island, the Hamptons in particular, because all of the places up there were closed. So we had one of these new guys out caddying for us on this particular day. And, you know, we're going along, you know, hole number one, hole number two, we're like on the fourth or fifth hole. And the friends of, our, of mine that I was out playing with, we tend to wager on just about everything that's going on on the golf course. So after my drive, somebody walks by me and just says, five to two uh, on a par. You know, something, five to two that you can't make par. So, you know, my, you, 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 my 20 to your 50 if you make par on this hole from where you are on the drive. And so I took the bet. And then the caddy walks over and he says to me, Kevin, you don't want to take that bet, man. You need seven to two at the most. You need seven to two at, at a minimum. And let me just say something, no offense, um, but what you really need is like, you know, you need, you, you need close to, to five to one to make par from where you are right now on this hole. And I, I said, really? And he said, yeah, that's what, that's what I would put it at. Anyway, but, you know, if you, if you need any, you know, uh, advice as we go for, through, you know, you can come to me for, for odd stuff. And I said, well, I don't really usually struggle with the math and the odds. And then we started to talk yeah. before my next shot. And then I stopped dead in my tracks. And I looked at this dude. And I go, you're Brandon Lang. And he goes, what took you so long? I said, well, I, I've never met you. I've never really talked to you in person. He goes, I came on your show that one year, and then you ditched me. And I ended up going on with Andy, with, with Zabin and, and Andy Poland in the afternoon. And I said, I remember. And he said, so why? We ended up talking, and I said, you know, the issue was I had this segment on my show called The Smell Test, which was essentially admitting that nobody knows anything. So there they were putting you on my show, and you're a tout, basically. And he just starts to laugh. He's like, I knew. I knew that you knew better, essentially is what he was saying. And I go, it was no offense, and if we were generating revenue off the segment, I wasn't going to get rid of you. But I went to them and said, look, I don't really want to tout on the show unless it's really meaningful for the station, but there are you know, a couple of other shows that maybe it would work better on. Well, he's been going on the junkies apparently for years, and he went on with Andy and Steve for a few years. Anyway, he was caddying for us. And one of the jobs that he's had over the years is during certain portions of the calendar, he'll go caddy at various places, and he says it's a way to generate clients in business. I don't know if that's true or not, 
but he turned out to be the best dude. We had the greatest day. <laughs> we had the most fun that I didn't care if the stories were exaggerated or not. Like a couple of my friends were like, that can't be right. And I'm just like, no, who cares? He's a great storyteller. This is a lot of fun. Well, the real story, the, the story that's 100% factual is that they made a movie about Brandon Lang called Two for the Money. And Al Pacino and Matthew McConaughey were um, in the movie, and McConaughey played Brandon Lang. Well, I asked him about the movie, like, how did that happen? And he told the story, which he's told many times, and apparently it's 100% accurate. He was caddying in L.A. at Riviera. And Rene Russo's husband, I don't know what his name is, but he is a director in Hollywood. And he had Rene Russo's husband that he was caddying for in what he called was a, you know, fairly high stakes match. And they got to the final hole and they got Rene Russo's husband said, I see that a little bit left to right. And Brandon, as he tells the story, said, if you hit it left to right, it's going to go off the green and you're going to lose all the money that's, you know, basically riding on this hole. It's a foot right to left. So Rene Russo's husband took his advice, hit it out a foot right to left. It drops right into the cup. He wins a shitload of money and he goes to tip Brandon a bunch of money. And Brandon said, I don't want any money from you today. I want you to sit down with me and let me pitch you a 10-minute pitch on a movie idea that I have. And he ended up making Brandon's movie. Wow. Two for the money. That apparently is a That's pretty- true story on how it came about. And, um, you know, the movie was okay. I mean, if, look, if so... It was okay. Renee Russo was in the movie. She- that was Al Pacino's wife. Right. Jeremy Piven yeah. was in the movie, uh, you know. Uh, 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 and yeah, uh, Armand Desante was in the movie. One of my favorite actors. He played the mob guy who right. beat uh, Brandon up. Yeah, Brandon really. I mean, Tommy, a great guy, phenomenal storyteller. We had so much fun, and um, I actually, it's funny because I think I had him on the show. Like two, like the the next football season on one Friday, and we talked about that day. And he's invited uh, several of us up to play a couple, like Shinnecock, where he um, up on on Long Island. And we have not taken him up on that, but we might at some point. But really good guy. And anyway, it just reminded me McConaughey played Brandon in that movie. And, you know, circling back to the original reason we started to talk about Matthew McConaughey, Jay Gruden sent us a very, very nice review uh, saying that you want to be afraid of how much you love this podcast. (laughs) Um, Thank you, uh, Jay Gruden. So the NBA Finals open up tonight. I, I know that you're not really into this. Will you even watch it? I'll try. I think I'll try. What will you do instead tonight? Well, no, I probably will watch it tonight. I mean, they probably don't come on until nine o'clock, right? Uh, the game starts at nine o'clock tonight, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, I'll probably watch it. It might be eight thirty. Um, nine o'clock. Nine o'clock on ABC. 
uh, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll make a prediction on the, the series later on in the podcast. That's not, I don't think, what's going to interest you. I think what would interest you in a conversation here, maybe brief, is just putting it in the context of history. Golden State is playing in their sixth NBA Finals in the last eight years. They've got a chance to win a fourth title in their last eight years. I would refer to that as a dynastic run, would you? Yes, absolutely. Not not the Celtics no of the 60s, not even the Lakers of the no. 80s, but this has been a dynasty. You know, going to the finals six times in eight years, remember the two years that they didn't go were weird years. You know, it's a pandemic one year, yes. and not that they were going to threaten in the year uh, when everybody was hurt and it was only Steph and Draymond, um, but... Six uh, appearances and potentially four titles in eight years. Okay, good. So that's a dynasty. Here's the other part of this. Steph Curry, who without any debate has been um, the constant great all-time player on this team. Kevin Durant's the other one, but he's not on this team right now. Steph Curry is on the verge, potentially, if they win this series, of winning his fourth NBA title. Fourth. That would put him on quite a list of of all-time champions. You know, the the guys that have won four include Shaquille O'Neal and LeBron James. The guys that have won three that he would pass are guys like Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and James Worthy. He's on the verge of winning his fourth title. I say on the verge. That's the wrong way to describe it. He has a chance to win his fourth title. If he does win his fourth title, where do you put him now on the list of the all-time greats? Because you've never, never given Steph Curry any credit for anything other than being a guy that just shoots it. Well, that's not fair, okay? He is the guy that just shoots the ball, and in one fell swoop, this guy has been maybe one of the most significant game-changing players since Will Chamberlain in the way the game is played, okay? I mean, his impact on the league is among the greatest of all time, impact-wise. He's also helped wreck the game by turning it into a a three-point festivity and having generations of kids grow up all wanting to be Steph Curry. You know, so, I mean, I acknowledge that he's a game changer. Huge impact on the game. Can't be denied. Uh, In terms of uh, one of the greatest players, I'd put him in the top 20. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's what I was waiting for. Uh, the payoff was worth Look it. Look at the so athletic. If, so if he wins this title, if he wins this title, he's the a top 20 all-time player. The Athletic in a January article put him at 15. Okay. But if he wins a fourth no. title, that's what I'm asking you. Where Where is he now? Where is his legend now? See, I... Top 20 player. Um, I, I mean, Oscar Robertson won one title. Okay, does that does that make Steph Curry better than Oscar Robertson? 
So stop with the title. Well, that's that's a debate that you could start to have. You might want to have it already. Um, I know you wouldn't want to have it. Um, but it is the the sport more than any other where titles really are the measurement. It's not in the NFL. Super Bowls are not the measurement in the NFL. It's far too hard for a quarterback to have. He's got the most influence of any player on the field, but the, a great player with five players on the floor at any given time has more of an impact on the result. Um, st- by the way, I don't know that I'm going to disagree with you a lot here, which is going to be upsetting to me. Top 20 is a joke. He's he's certainly right now bordering on a top 10 to 12 uh, player all time. And if he wins this because titles are important in evaluating all-time greats in the NBA – um, you know, I think you can squarely put him, you know, in the top ten, somewhere in the top ten. But ahead, of, ahead of who? Um, Isaiah Thomas. Yes, definitely. Really? But I don't know if Isaiah Thomas is top ten. I mean, if you're going to talk about top ten, you're going to have to knock out somebody that you really love, you know, like Bill Russell, <laughs> or. Well, you can't do that. that's ridiculous <laughs> because. That's that's yeah. like one and two right there. Yeah, well, Russell and Chamberlain. What about knocking out somebody so, like Tim Duncan? You can't knock out Tim Duncan. Of course you can. No, you can. Yes, you can. You can. No, knock, you can. You can knock out Tim Duncan. I um a few years ago because I keep some of these things around to remind me of what I said. You and I must have been having a similar debate about like the the top ten players of all time in the NBA, and I had my top ten, and then I had the next four players out just outside the top ten. My top ten went Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Wilt Chamberlain, LeBron James and Bill Russell as the top five. Then it was Kareem, Larry, Kobe, Elijah Wan. I'm sure I have Elijah Wan much higher than most. And I had Shaquille O'Neal, 10. The next four in order after that, Tim Duncan at 11, Oscar at 12, Kevin Durant at 13, and Steph Curry at 14. If Steph Curry is you know, a, a central figure in another title and maybe wins an MVP, which he has not, he has not won a Finals MVP uh, off of their championship teams. It was uh, Iguodala that first year, which was a joke, and then it was uh, Durant twice. Um, Curry moves up on the list. He moves ahead of Durant. He moves ahead of Oscar. He moves ahead of Duncan, and he probably moves ahead of Shaq into the top ten. And if he doesn't move ahead of Oscar, then he moves ahead of Elijah one. Even and I put Elijah one just outside the top ten, and I put Curry into the top ten. That's what I would do. I think he's the greatest ball handler and shooter in one body in my lifetime. The only guy that was close was I- Isaiah Thomas. I know you love Maravich. Um, Isaiah Thomas, if he had played in an era where the three-point shot was emphasized, Isaiah would have been a great three-point shooter. But Curry is the greatest ball handler shooter in one body. And by the way, he's more than that. He's a great scorer on top of being just a great shooter and a great ball handler. He's a great player. Uh, so if he wins another title, I have him in my top ten all time. There's no way that you would put him ahead of Shaquille O'Neal or Kevin Durant. There's nobody on the planet who would do that. I would. Except you. Well, that's not true. I know. I would put – look, Steph Curry's not a okay. top five Mrs. all-time Curry. great. He's Mrs. not – Mrs. <laughs> me and, Mrs. Curry would. Me and Mrs. Curry, me and Dell Curry would. Um, 
I I want to make one thing clear here. It's debatable. I understand that. It doesn't sound like you really want to debate this, but it's debatable as to whether or not he's a top 10 all-time player. And as you start going through lists, whether old or new, you start to realize just how many great players there are and how much of a challenge it is to put him in front of some of the people that I've just suggested that I'd put him in front of. I would never put him into the category of, you know, the Michael Magic you know, in, in even the non-center conversation, the Michael Magic, LeBron, Larry, Kobe kind of conversation. Um, but I, I think if if he wins another title, and by the way, if he wins an MVP, which would be his first, Iguodala got the first one. That was a joke. Um, and then Durant got the next two. Uh, and they're not winning a title without Curry being a force uh, in this upcoming series. But I think that there would be a reasonable debate of putting him ahead of some of the people that I've mentioned. By the way, you and I don't disagree on uh, the very top of this list. I mean, I have Michael 1, Magic 2. I know that you and I have always agreed that Magic's in the conversation of the greatest player of all time. He's, He's still your number one, right? Well, only of that era. Wilt is my greatest of all time. And then Russell is my second greatest of all time. And then we can start. I would say Magic is in top five. With Michael. Okay, probably behind Michael. With Michael, of course. Probably behind Michael. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't mean for us to turn this into a conversation about you know our top tens or whether or not Steph Curry's a top ten player. I just wanted to have a conversation about whether or not Steph Curry, if he wins a title, you know, if his legacy it changes, is enhanced, and now all of a sudden he starts to get kind of this consideration as one of the greatest players that's ever lived. You've already said how influential he was and how he changed the game. You also said he wrecked the game, in your opinion. Um, I, I think that the, the, the truth of it, beyond watching the greatest shooter and greater ball and greatest ball handler in one body that I've ever seen, the, the impact on the game wasn't the three-point shot from him um, because people were shooting lots of threes you know, before Curry came along and started bombing threes and winning titles, uh, either with just Draymond and, and Clay or, or the two with Durant. Um, what he did and, and how he's changed the game, and the guy from ESPN, I think his name's Kirk Goldsberry, who's kind of an analytics basketball nerd, um, he wrote about this a while back, and it was it's the distance of the three-point shot that has changed because of Steph Curry. Um, Curry doesn't shoot three pointers. He's uh, you know the, he's the first to really start shooting four and five pointers, meaning you know three feet, six feet, eight feet behind the arc. You know for so long the three point shot was a shot that was shot just behind the arc. You know feet planted right beyond the arc, barely uh, you know a foot behind the arc, if if that much. And Curry was putting up bombs. Curry was uh, a guy that you had to pick up when he crossed half court. And the reason that has changed the game is that the longer distanced three-point shot has changed the spacing of a basketball floor. It has made it very difficult when you have guys that can shoot from well beyond the three-point line like Curry. 
it's made it very difficult to guard teams because now you're extending your defense out to 35, 40 feet to guard a player, sometimes more than one player on a team, and it creates so much more space in the middle of the floor to attack a defense. And that is really the impact that Curry has had. The three-point shooting, certainly the volume of three-point shots, but more than anything, it's the distance in which he's been shooting those threes. He was really the pioneer of the 35-foot three-pointer. The in-transition, I'm pulling up from 38 feet and I can make this shot, and you're going to have to come out and guard me. And the next time you come out and guard me, I'm going to give you a quick head fake, and I'm not going to lose my dribble, and I'm going by you to the rim to either set up somebody for an easy dunk because we're playing at that point five on four as you run at me. And that's really with so much more you know space in the middle of the floor, and that's really – the um, you know the basketball X's and O's impact that he's had on the game it, that has changed the game. Not that sh- that he's made a lot of threes and he shoots a lot of threes, and more teams are shooting lots of threes. That's that's important, but it's the distance of the three point shot that Curry really introduced more than anybody else. And that's why I would, you know, more likely than not, I think I've already said that I would do it, um, put Steph Curry into the top 10 of all-time greatest players if he wins a fourth title. I just don't think he'll crack the top 10. I don't think people will move guys out for for Steph Curry. I think there's some people that will look at him as a one-trick pony. It's a big trick. I'll grant you that. It's If you're going to be good at one trick, this is the one to be good at it's in a, this league. But it's not one trick. That's the thing. That's that's completely unfair to describe him as a one-trick pony. He's not a, a horse contest winner. He's a great scorer. Oh, I think he is a horse contest oh, winner. Oh, he's not. I think that's the very oh. that's the very game of that's the very NBA today. No. A glorified horse contest. No, because of the because of the floor that he's created, he's become an incredible passer. He's also an incredible scorer. He's got some of the greatest feel for scoring in and around the basket of any player in the game. You're he's the the trick the shooting trick that he does a lot. Uh, if you want to call it a horse, he's the greatest horse player in the history of the NBA. But he's a lot more than that. A lot more than that. Okay, whatever you say. I mean, look, it, it's 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 not it's it's not the game that I loved. It's not an artistic game anymore. Uh, it's it's a game where I tell you what again. He's raised a generation of kids who, if that if that forty foot three pointer isn't working, they have no idea what to do after that. Oh, how would you know? Um, I, I I do agree with you on one thing. There are some kids, and I've been in many a gym over the years here, where there are some kids that do that trick really, really well. They can really shoot it. It's one of the biggest changes, no doubt, and it is the effect of guys like Curry for sure, where you see a lot of kids that can really, really bomb it. But there are plenty of, of young players out there that because they can shoot it so well, um, it's opened up so much more of a game for them. But anyway, uh, we got to get to this 
Congress story, Congress requesting that Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell appear uh, in front of it on June 22nd. You and I haven't talked about it together. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You want to bet on the NBA Finals? Go to my bookie at mybookie.com or mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. Golden State in game one is a four point favorite tonight in game one at home against Boston. They've had a longer layoff. The Celtics had uh, Sunday night's game seven, but still plenty of rest leading up to game one in San Francisco tonight. The totals 213 and a half. The series price, uh, Golden State is a minus 150. Uh, favorite. The comeback on that is plus 130. So if you want to bet the Warriors to win the series, you've got to wager $150 to win 100. If you want to bet the Celtics, you bet 100 to win 130. Or if you bet 200, you would win $260 if the Celtics uh, won the series. Uh, if you're interested in a lot of prop bets, they've got plenty of prop bets on the NBA Finals, including uh, MVP odds uh, on the Finals um, as well. Steph Curry and Jason Tatum are essentially co-favorites to win the MVP 
of the NBA Finals. Go to MyBookie at MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com, and they will take good care of you. Don't forget to use my promo code, KevinDC, and if you uh, go to put something in the promo code and there's something already there, just erase it and put in Kevin. DC. So, um, Congress, the House Oversight uh, and Reform Committee, wants Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell to testify at a congressional hearing on June 22nd. Tommy, I had Howard Gutman, Howard's so good, uh, puts it in such simple terms that everybody can understand. He was on the show yesterday and he said a lot of things. One of the things is a potential strategy for Dan Snyder and the league is to kind of go Dean Smith four corners and wait this thing out until, you know, there's a Republican Congress, which in all likelihood there will be in November, and then these things will go away. But Um, I don't personally believe that we'll ever see either one of them testify in front of Congress, even though actually Howard did say that, you know, the timing uh, might be better now um, while there's an investigation still going on because they really can't say much. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this news story yesterday. What do you think? Well, I think the delay tactic is real. It is real. I think that really could get in the way of what the committee is trying to do. I don't think there's any way... Snyder shows up to testify before this committee on TV, unless it's at gunpoint. So, I mean, I could see Goodell doing it because that's kind of what he's paid to do. It would be a hot seat issue, but, uh, you know, I mean, Bud Selick has done it and looked like an idiot, but sometimes the commissioner's paid to be look like an idiot. But uh, Snyder, no, he ain't going there unless, unless it's at the end of a gun. So I don't see that happening. Uh, and the delay issue, uh, look, I'm sure the committee is aware of the day of, of, of they're facing that delay. And I think they're going to try to do everything they can to move this forward before that happens. Uh, so it's, it's basically a race. It, it's, it's a time race between uh, what the committee is doing and how good uh, the commanders can play defense. And based on the fact that they're not good at anything they do, I kind of like the committee's chances. Well, you say Dan Snyder's not going there uh, unless it's, you know, unless there's a gun pointed to his head. But if they subpoena Dan Snyder, he will have to show up. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's literally what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. If if they manage to subpoena him, he would have to show up. But an, an invite? No. No, he's not taking an invite. Do we think if he's subpoenaed, is he going to show up in his sweatsuit with, with, with like, a 10-day-old beard that look that he seems to have adopted now? I don't know. I mean, he somebody should give him some advice that he shouldn't walk in to, to, to Congress uh, looking the way he looked for the Sean Taylor um, weekend uh, or the 2 2 uh, debut. Um, yeah. Can you imagine the First of all, it wouldn't be televised, but it might be live streamed for all of us to watch. Can you? Well, I think it would be on C-SPAN. Yeah, it might be on C-SPAN. Uh, well, there you go. How? I mean, this would be rough for him. This is not his thing. Yes. You know, he's not no, a communicator. Not he's not somebody that is able to, you know, look smooth. He sweats these these things. And so do most people. I'm not knocking them for it. Uh, yeah. you, most, most people have these anxieties. Um, but this would, this, this, you know, 
I, like Howard said yesterday, he's like, look, you know, on some level, it might make sense for them to accept this quickly and try to go hurry up while Mary Jo White's investigation is still going on because Dan can basically answer every question. Look, we're in the middle of an ongoing investigation. Uh, this is what we're looking into. Mary Jo White, you know, when she gets done with this investigation, will have more answers on that. This is why, you know, the league is investigating when, and why I offered to, you know, to, to basically finance the investigation up front because we wanted to get to the bottom of these allegations. And that could be the answer to almost yeah. every question. Now, you know, the problem could be if, if, if her if her investigation is still going on by June 22nd when they want to hold these hearings. Right. I could see him doing that, but I could also see him being provoked into saying something stupid no matter what kind of defense that he has. Uh, he's going ha- to be a hostile witness. Uh, he's going to have hostile questioners, let's say that, uh, for the most part. And, uh, he, you know, he may have a plan to get up there and talk about, well, you know, we've got this, you know, the NFL is, is looking into us, we take this seriously and all that, but... Uh, I'm betting that he could be provoked. Look, this is this is what the committee has been waiting for, to get these guys in front of them and testify, because I think they have a sense that uh, 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 some, somebody, one of the two, particularly Snyder, could blurt out the wrong thing and hang themselves. You know, the, the net of it is Howard thought two things, He, he the, more important than anything else. He said... What this does in the immediate is it impacts his effort to get a stadium and get anybody to do business with him on the stadium front. You know, these are the kinds of headlines that when they pop up, Congress wants Dan Snyder to come testify. It's really hard for politicians to then look their their voters in the eye and say, I just voted yes to give Dan Snyder a bunch of money to build a stadium. And the other part of this is, you know, Howard pointed out, is just the ongoing angst that the owners have over this whole situation. It just never ends. And they want it to end. And the only way for it really to end is for Dan Snyder not to own the team, any team in the NFL ever again. If he goes away, so does most of this. And then they can deal with all of their other things, like Deshaun Watson and Jerry Jones and, you know, John Gruden's situation and, and all of that. But it's, this is why there was that quote in the Mark Maskey story last week from an owner at the, at the Atlanta owners' meetings that said, look, we wish he was gone, but, you know, we, there has to be more than what we have now. More of a harsh punishment is really what the owners were, were talking about um, to Mark Maskey last week. And what's interesting is, as I understand the Virginia legislative effort, which is on hold now, uh, they would have to bring that up for this year, I think by June 17th. Right. It's the last day they could bring that up. And that's five days before this scheduled hearing. And, I mean, I would think that if you're, if you're a lawmaker in Virginia, you know, uh, on that committee to vote on this, you really want to risk, given what could be two hundred million dollars by that point, uh, over over to Dan Snyder, and then have him five days later uh, testifying be, uh, before Congress and looking like public enemy number one. I mean, you know, that they have to worry about the ramifications of the 
the attorney general's investigation in their own state, and nobody knows if that will be completed by the time the uh, Virginia bill for the stadium development comes up again. Uh, so, I mean, it's not looking good in Virginia this year, at least, for the money. I, even if it resurfaces again, I don't see them getting the votes to get this done. I don't either. I think the Virginia thing is dead. Uh, and I we had Michael Phillips on the podcast yesterday, and Michael thinks, you know, there's still a chance. And then if it doesn't get passed here in this legislative session, you know, they maybe they won't have a deal this time next year, and they'll the the, the the organization could be in a different place. Look, there is definitely an argument to be made, and we've talked a little bit about it, and Ben Standig wrote about it the other day, that this is not the time for the team to be looking for a stadium deal. They should wait this out. It can't get any worse than it is right now, which is potentially Virginia offering nothing, D.C. offering nothing, and Maryland offering $400 million in infrastructure, which they're going to spend regardless, but nothing for the stadium. Like, if they wait a year, you know, potentially all this congressional stuff gets dropped with a Republican House. You know, there's a chance, there's always a chance that the season goes better than most of their other seasons and that there might they, they might have a stronger hand and there might be more interest and you might have created more distance from all of the recent controversy. But they don't have to be at a FedEx field by 2027 or 2028. They can stay there forever if they want. And their, right. their ultimate, right. you know, fantasy is D.C. And, you know, you've got the issue going on in D.C. right now with Bowser and Mendelssohn and Eleanor Holmes Norton and the whole thing. I mean, they really, they, they if Virginia doesn't bring this up for a vote or votes it down, and I think it would be more that they wouldn't bring it up for a vote. If they bring it up for a vote, actually, it's probably because they think they have the votes. Um, if they don't bring it up for a vote, it's dead in Virginia for at least a year, which to me means dead in Virginia. I, I think your your prediction all along is the right prediction. I think they're going to play in a brand new FedEx field in 2028, right next to the existing FedEx field. Okay, everything you said about waiting makes a lot of sense. Except, let me ask you this: Dan Snyder has owned the team since 2000. When has waiting ever made him look better? Never. Okay. But it can't waiting so, can't make him look any worse. I know that, but but in terms of looking better, I mean in terms of trying to dream up what could be down the road, we're not warped enough to do that. But he, there's something down the road. He's never gonna look better. But the team could look better. And the and the the, the complaints from that guy, you know, Chap Peterson and others about the team not being viable with no fan base. <laughs> I mean, that could improve a little bit if they were to have a winning team. Um Yeah, it could. Yeah. It, it could prove a little bit. Oh, and by the way, you know, uh when they were doing this Virginia Stadium push Remember, Ron Rivera tweeted out how excited he was about the plans that he saw? <laughs> yeah, what are you going to say? Okay. I can now, predict it. So I think this, this means that stadium questions for the coach are on the agenda. Oh, okay? I, th- I thought if you were going to say, what makes Ron think he's going to be around for the new stadium offering? I'm not saying alive. I'm saying his head coach. Because he probably, no, I didn't, I didn't mean that. Because he probably won't uh, be. That's a long time. 
you can ask the coach any question you want about the stadium because he's weighed in on it publicly on his social media account. He's got something to say about it. <laughs> so but, the next time he's asked and he says, well, you know, I only deal with football, I say, well, that's not what you're, that, that wouldn't be what your social media account says. Well, good. You can ask him some stadium questions the next time uh, you are at a press conference. All right. uh, Up next, I'll have a finals prediction. And Tommy settled his case with Southwest Airlines. We'll get to both of those things right after these words from a few of our sponsors. This final segment of the show is brought to you today by Window Nation. With home prices on the rise, there's no better time than now to improve the look and value of your home with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name, you'll get a free estimate. Did you see who passed away, Tommy? Um, former cowboy Marion Barber the third, thirty-eight years old, no cause of death. Do you remember Marion Barber the third for the Cowboys? Listen, I remember Marion Barber Jr. His dad, right, who played for the Jets, yeah, in in the eighties, right, and with Freeman and McNeil. was a similar back. Yeah, was a similar back in that he was very difficult to bring down. I mean, he wasn't real prolific because they didn't use him a lot because, like you said, they had Freeman McNeil, uh, but uh, was a hard guy to tackle, yeah. just like his son was. Um, so. The reason I'm bringing it up is because there was a moment in his career that is very um, you know, infamous for Redskins fans. It was the 2008 Jim Zorn I Will Comply season. Actually, the the I Will Comply season was 2009. But in 2008, Jim Zorn's Washington Redskins got out to a 6-2 and two start. And then they played two games. They played the Steelers on a Monday night where the terrible towels made it appear as if they were playing at, I guess, then Three Rivers Stadium. It might have been Heinz Field. Um, And then the following game after a bye week was a Sunday night game against the Cowboys on national TV with first place in the division on the line. The Skins were 6-3. and The Cowboys were 5-4. And And Marion Barber, with 6 minutes and 46 seconds left in the game and the Cowboys leading 14-10, touched the ball on 11 consecutive plays to run out the clock. Um, Washington had the ball in the fourth quarter with a chance on a fourth down in Dallas territory. They failed. The Cowboys took over. And it's the game in which you know guys like Cowboy Clay in particular will say, remember the Marion Barber game when you guys couldn't stop him and he ran <laughs> it right down your throat? And he did. It was like... It was such a unique way for a game to end. They took over, and I went back and and found the play-by-play. Six minutes and 46 seconds, first and ten. Marion Barber, five yards. Marion Barber, seven yards. Marion Barber, eight yards. Marion Barber, five yards. Marion Barber, no gain. Marion Barber, two yards. So six straight carries. One first down, and then they're facing third and eight after Washington starts to call their timeouts, and Tony Romo throws a 10-yard pass to Marion Barber. 
And then Marion Barber had two yards, and then he had three yards, and then he had four yards. And then with a minute to go on fourth and one, Marion Barber ran for three yards. Marion Barber touched the ball on 11 straight plays to run out the final six minutes and 46 seconds of a 14-10 to 10 game. It was infuriating. It was so frustrating. It's like, what? Get the ball back! You know, it was, one, <laughs> it was one of those situations where you're sitting there and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. The clock's down to two minutes and they, and they, they can't stop him. They got 15 people on the line of scrimmage and they couldn't stop him. He was such a hard runner. And I mean, so many of those yards, if my memory serves me well, were after contact at the line of scrimmage. He just ran yeah. it right down their esophagus. And then on the one play where they had him at third and eight, Romo throws it out of the backfield to Barber and he rumbles for 10 yards. Uh, an amazing way to end the game. And on, on the final run for a first down, they did, uh, Tony Romo did take two knees because Washington was out of timeouts uh, at that point. But um, you know, it, it, that was also really the beginning of the end. You know, Washington fell to six and four, and ultimately that season finished eight and eight. You know, they they cratered the second half of the season to two and six, and um, and they uh, and they did not make the playoffs. And then we know what happened the following year with Jim Zorn. Jim Zorn was hanging out with us more than he was coaching his team. Um, but Marion Barber, rest in peace. I mean. For Cowboy fans, you know, there are lots of heroes in divisional rival rivalry games, and Marion Barber's name isn't going to be, you know, in a top 10 anywhere, but he did, he had a good career. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't just one game, but certainly, uh, you know, I remember as a Redskin fan being so frustrated that they could not get the ball back one more time down 14 to 10 or 17 to 10 at that point. Um, but anyway, you had a story uh, about your uh, trip from hell uh, down to um, down to Disney World uh, that was so, so pleasant for all of you, your your wife, uh, your granddaughter, and yourself, um, and how it got rectified with Southwest Airlines. Well, uh, and a lot of people were surprised by this who know me, uh, who, who basically who were involved in this decision. Because it's unusual for Southwest to step up like this. Uh, I have reached a financial settlement with Southwest Airlines. <laughs> okay. I want, to an- I want to announce that, okay, uh, that's satisfactory to all parties involved. Okay. Uh, and uh, the what, I think what kicked it off was, first of all, they, they had their first, their first response to me was, well, we'll give you a $200 uh, Flight credit. I remember that. Use. Yeah, and I sent a response back saying, "I'm sorry, there must be a mistake here. Somebody uh, inadvertently sent this to me as a way to appease me for what I went through. So I'm just letting you know that this is this is a mistake, so you can fix it." And then I never heard back from them. So on what I got something in the mail from Southwest, a credit card offer from them. Uh-huh. So I posted a picture of it on on social on Twitter and I said these guys can't keep a promise for anything and they're selling credit cards. I said isn't this mail fraud? <laughs> you know? So, you did that? Th- th- yes. 
that got a response what it, right away on social media. I got a, a direct message from Southwest saying, "What's wrong, buddy?" You did, <laughs> and and I I laid it all out for them what I went through, which I said you should have already, because I wrote a very eloquent, long, involved history of our trip. Uh, that and and the girl, the person uh, on the up said. Wow, you know, you're right. <laughs> we really screwed up here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do something different for you. We're going to fix this for you. So they came up with a list of expenses that they would reimburse me for. Basically everything except the actual theme park costs. And uh, they said, we'll send you a check. Just send us receipts, which I did. And I got the check in the mail the other day. How much was it again? Eight hundred bucks. So you basically you got you got a four to one return on their initial mistake offer, the mistake email that you got. I yes. you, you, so plus I got plus we got six hundred dollars total in flight credits. So you could argue it's a fourteen hundred dollars. Well, it is a fourteen hundred dollars settlement. What do you mean? Yes. six hundred dollars in flight yes, credits allows you to you know to, uh, fly for six hundred bucks for free the next time you fly Southwest if you ever fly Southwest again. You know, you did not keep me up to date on everything you were doing. I I did not that I'm about to take any credit for this, but I did tell you that if you push them hard enough and you really document everything, they're they're go- they're going to bend eventually. Like they they expect you to just take the first thing that you offer and walk away with it. Now, your social media move was brilliant. I'd actually I'm going through your your Twitter account and I'm looking for when you when you responded with the mail fraud uh, line to them on a credit card that offer. That was a while back. Yeah, I, I haven't found it yet. Um, but yeah. you know, clearly somebody with like. 30 followers probably wouldn't have gotten a response, but you have, you have 18,000 followers. So they thought, well, we got to fix this one or this guy's going to continue to hammer us. So that was, that was clearly the move that paid off for you. God, man. Yeah. I don't think I've ever, well, I haven't, I've never used social media as a way to generate something like that, but it is powerful (laughs) from that standpoint, clearly. Because you would, you, you, they, yes, they'd still is. be ignoring you without that. Of course they would. And the only they, reason they got back the to you was to quiet you. Yes, and it worked. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm going to now that I've announced it on the podcast. I'm going to issue a statement on social media saying I've reached an agreement with Southwest. I've reached and a I settlement. Will continue to do business. I will continue to do business with this fine company now. Do it in, in press release <laughs> form. You know, date it and put like, you know, um, Frederick, Maryland, June 2nd, you know, 2022. <laughs> Lavero settles okay. with Southwest Airlines. Do something like that. And then write it as if it's like a newswire story. You should. You know, I will. Uh, Tom, T- Tom Lavero and Southwest Airlines reached a settlement after a long. Uh, yeah, that's what you, that would be funny. Where I still can't find where you put this uh, credit card offer. It's a long time ago. Ooh, it it must took a while been. for them to come up with the money. I mean, you know, I I mean, I mean, I see. And the... I wasn't going to say anything about it until I got the money. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
Um, so the, cash, the check has been cashed and deposited, and uh, I'll, I'll be flying southwest again this summer. Because I don't have any choice. Yeah. I really don't have much of a choice. To the places I want to go, they're still the best option. No, you're right. I mean, they fly to a lot of the places that we all like to go to, and they have a hub right up the road at a very convenient airport called BWI. Uh, Tommy, I'm going to finish up with just a couple of quick thoughts on the NBA Finals and a prediction. I know a lot of you that are listening aren't into the NBA, especially the regular season. You may pay attention during the playoffs, and then you will tune in for the finals. Some of you probably won't even do that, but I think a lot of you will. And I'm telling you, you're going to be tuning in at a really good time. This should be a hell of a series. You have two really good basketball teams that are playing very well. This was my predicted finals matchup before the postseason started. I thought Boston would come out of the East, and I thought Golden State had a good chance to come out of the West, and I thought it would be a great matchup. I'd be lying to you if I told you that I was – Uh, rooting for Boston in games six and seven. I really wanted to see Jimmy Butler finish Boston off, especially after Friday night's game uh, in that 47-point performance where he was the best defender, the best facilitator, and the best scorer on the floor and one of the great individual performances I think I have ever seen in the postseason. I was rooting for him to get to the finals, but it wouldn't have been the matchup that Boston Golden State is. I think Miami would have been clocked in the finals by Golden State. I don't think they would have had much of a chance. Boston is loaded, and they are a great defensive team. And that's the matchup here in this series that will be really interesting to watch. Boston doesn't really put a weak defender on the floor. There's nobody Golden State can kind of single out and attack. Now, Golden State isn't a seek out uh, the weak defender and attack kind of a team anyway. The ball moves quickly. The spacing is great. um, And they are hard to guard. But Boston is as good defensively as anybody uh, in this postseason uh, has been, as anybody in the league's really been, and they're playing at a very high level. And it's going to be really interesting to see what Golden State does in the half court. I think it's possible that they're going to struggle a little bit in the half court. Miami did at times. I mean, not as dynamic as Golden State for sure. I think Golden State's going to have to get out and transition. The ball moves. They don't, you know, they don't hunt weak defenders and there's no weak defender to hunt out anyway on Boston, but Um, I think they've got to really get out and score in transition, and they've got to protect the basketball. They have averaged 14 turnovers a game in the postseason. That's really when they've looked their worst is when they've been very sloppy with the ball. But the ball moves. The spacing's great. The shooting's obviously outstanding. The getting to the rim and creating, whether it's Steph or or Clay or Jordan Poole, um, they've got depth. and when they go small with Draymond at the five, that'll be interesting to watch to see how Boston guards that. I think, you know, Boston will probably use a lot of smart on Curry, um, but they switch a lot, you know. And again, they they can switch because they really don't have 
a weak matchup defensively. So I think Boston defensively against Golden State offensively is going to be really fun to watch. And I think Golden State's going to need to get out in transition to really loosen Boston up and get some easy scoring opportunities because it may not be that easy in the half court. But that's what I'm going to be watching tonight. Can Golden State run really good offense and create really good shot opportunities and score consistently against Boston if they are facing Boston's set defense? On the other end, you know, Golden State does have somebody that Boston will seek out. And Boston is a team that will hunt out a mismatch. And Steph Curry is that mismatch. Jordan Poole can be that mismatch when, when he's on the floor. Um, and Jason Tatum getting a switch and getting matched up against Curry could be a problem. And then you'll see what Steve Kerr does to combat that. Will they double Tatum off of, of picks? Um, will they, you know, hedge hard and recover and then let Steph guard him? And then once he puts it on the floor, double him. Um, or run somebody at him and make him give it up. I mean, he gives it up to players who can really do something with it. But you don't want to see, if you're Golden State, Boston coming down, looking for the matchup, seeking out Steph defensively and taking advantage of that. They've got multiple players that can do that, including Smart, Brown, and Tatum. Um, Overall, two really well-coached teams, two superstars in the series in Curry and Tatum a lot of really good supporting players. It should be a great series. I have definitely leaned Golden State since Sunday night when it when Boston won the Eastern Conference uh, title. I, I think I've changed my mind here, Tommy. I think I like Boston in this series. Uh, I, I It's almost impossible for me to pick because I kind of feel like Golden State's experience and home court advantage might be the difference in this series. But the more and more I think about it, and I had Michael Lee from the Post on this morning, and you know he was making sense of a lot of things. I think I like Boston in seven, like maybe winning a seventh game on the road in San Francisco like they did in Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I'm kind of rooting for Golden State, but I, I think I, I, I would not bet this series at all. Um, but I think Boston's the better team. I think Golden State's more experienced. They've got the home court advantage. But I'm going to pick, I'm going to change my pick, maybe even from the radio show this morning because I can't even remember who I picked. I'm picking Boston in seven games. You know, the one thing about the Celtics mm-hmm. is, uh, and yeah, I mean, if you're a, a Wizards fan in the know, it's got to kill you. Is uh, Al Horford? Yeah, that, that was the, that might have been the game changer for this franchise. Yeah, what, the Wizards were in play for Al Horford a, a, what six, seven years ago now. Yeah, it was uh, uh, as a free agent, right? And not only did he, he didn't go to your team, but he went to your opponent in the division, Boston. Yeah, and uh, Al Horford could have changed a lot of things with this franchise. Al Horford would have been a phenomenal addition to this franchise, yes. and he would have yes. been there for the year. Uh, his first year yes. would have been the year that they made it to Game Seven against him, yes. playing for Boston. 
2017, uh, because really he was the replacement for Pierce after Pierce was the replacement for Ariza. And then Horford was very close, very close to signing in Washington. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that would, have, that would have been an interesting team with him and Brad and John that particular uh, season. So, um, all right, I'm done. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Doc's going to be on the show with me tomorrow. Uh, and we may have one other guest as well. Tommy, have a good weekend. All right, boss. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.